on this day in 1985, Easy Lover at the top of the charts. This is what we were listening to 37 years ago. Goodness. It's by Philip Bailey and Phil Collins, of course. Bailey was a former vocalist with Earth, Wind and Fire. It was jointly written by Bailey Collins and Nathan East. And Bailey, who you can hear here, is noted for his four-octave vocal range and distinctive falsetto register, which you can hear alongside Maurice White in The Wonderful Earth and the Fire. And a few years ago, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of music from Berklee College of Music. So, easy lover. Uh, Linda, 37 years old. is hard to believe, isn't it? It sounds like it could have been written, recorded yesterday. Uh, I'm laughing because I thought this was some sort of weird segue into what people get up to in um, Airbnbs. <laughs> no, no, it's just a good song, Linda. Don't you, don't you agree? <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> no, but fair enough. <laughs> fair, fair enough, Fred. I don't know whether you like this sort of music, freedom as a as a music lover, producer of Splore. If um if Phil Collins uh, emailed you and say, "Dear Fred Kabelski, I'd like to appear at Splore," what would you say? Uh, luckily, uh, music booking's not actually my my role, but I'd um, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd raise an, I, I'd probably say why. Because uh, I'd, I'd, be, I'd, be, uh, I'd be suspicious of ulterior motives. You'd say why? But, but, Collins... but, but having said that, I think I think the the, the production values in that era yes. in the mid eighties and and the experimentation with new instruments and technology was really exciting, and that's why a lot of that music, whether you love it or hate it, um, does sound you know sound good. Oh, that's interesting. So it's all down to production. Well, not just down to production, but, you know, there can be songs that you, you don't necessarily like the artist or you, you necessarily like the song, but when you listen to it, there is a there is a, a texture and a fullness so and right. a richness that, that can't be just, denied. Let's just bring that up. Can you bring this up again, please? Hey, Fred, I think you're onto something here. They don't... They don't make songs like that anymore. I want to get to the bottom of that. Why do songs like that sound like that? And some songs written today don't sound like that. That's what I'd like to know. Could could also be to do with the formula. You know, you've got your bridge and your guitar solo or your sax. You know, you don't get oh. that so much. But uh, maybe maybe that's for the best. Very good. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that, uh, um, Fred. Now, uh, look, such a big response regarding dental. Uh, uh, Wallace Dental. Dental vans still doing the rounds in Christchurch schools throughout COVID. I have three children at three different schools. Visits to school dental clinics are still free. Uh, so, cure for that. Uh, Mike says, yes to dental care. I'm from the UK, where a lot of it is under National Health NHS and prices are set reasonably. The flow on is this effectively caps what private dental care can charge. My son had braces in the UK free, got here halfway, and it costs $3,500 to finish the job in New Zealand. That's amazing, Linda. It's expensive, isn't it? I mean, isn't one of the reasons that Americans have such good teeth is that as part of their health, uh, their medical insurance, they have to go to dentists more regularly than we do? I have no idea. We'll have to fact check that. Yeah, that, would be, we, that would be the people who have uh, medical insurance. I, I, I notice a lot of Americans. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you just need to see the box pops on, uh, on the news networks. And, uh, yeah. and I, think, I think that's uh, yeah, rather a biased view. Yep. Should the people who take care of themselves no sugar drink, drinks for my kids pay for those who don't? Says someone. 
another one here. I had major dental work done. It cost me $65,000. It was for a genital abnormality. <sighs> Paying for this has left me with years of financial hardship. Uh, another one here. I have a friend from a European country who cannot believe how expensive dental care here is in New Zealand but they do pay higher taxes. And regarding veggie gardens, veggie gardens are a constant source of learning and joy to our grandchildren, especially seeing their faces when they discover a huge, ripe strawberry. They are three and six years old and know how to raise veggies from seed to harvest. Children learn so much in the garden. It is good to eat. Spray-free food too. Takes effort, but it's well worth it for many more reasons than just saving money. Says a green thumb and uh, says green thumb grandma, and that is so true. Thank you for your responses. Well, are you a trustworthy person? If not, you might be out of luck for your next weekend getaway. An investigation by Australian Consumer Advocacy Group Choice revealed that Airbnb has been using an algorithm to mine information from social media accounts, accesses personality, assesses personality and behavioural traits, and award users with a trustworthiness score. Score low, you could be banned without explanation. To tell us more about the implications of this, we're joined by Choice Consumer Data Advocate Kate Bauer, calling from Sydney. And by the way, Choice is a um, part organisation to Consumer NZ in Aotearoa. Kate Kiora, welcome to the panel in New Zealand. Thank you for having me. Now, Airbnb, they have defended this as a necessary security measure. What issue do you have with an automated system like this? Uh, so there's a couple of concerning things, I think, about Airbnb's use of automated decision-making. Um, the main problem is the lack of transparency around it, is that uh, users of the platform are unaware of this in their privacy policy. They do have a vague statement that says they use automated processes, um, but that you'll have the option to uh, review them or query a decision. But when we've spoken to people who've been kicked off the platform, they've tried to contact Airbnb uh, and then Airbnb says, oh, we've reviewed the decision and the decision still stands, you know, too bad. Um, and, you know, you can't really do anything much more about it. We just think that's, that's not good enough. Um, people should have an opportunity to find out what the data was. Um, and even if it's about them, we're just trusting Airbnb that they've correctly identified you um, and that they're using accurate information to make these decisions. And that data, that information has not been forthcoming? That's right. So, so far, of all the people we've spoken to, spoken to who've been um, removed from the platform, uh, none of them have been able to find out what the reason was. They haven't oh. been offered an explanation by Airbnb, and that means they haven't been offered an opportunity to correct the record. So, what are some of the examples? What, give us a couple of examples of people who have been kicked out of BNB. So we spoke to a lady called Renee down in um, Melbourne in Australia and she describes herself and her husband as clean, boring people. She's a real estate agent. She'd been on Airbnb for a number of years, um, always had good reviews, always had good experiences. Uh, and then one day she logged into the platform to book her next holiday and found that she was able to access the service. Uh, contacted Airbnb. Uh, they said, um, you've been uh, removed from our, by our trust and safety team. Um, she asked to review the decision and then they came back and she ended up 
calling them on the phone, the support centre, you know, chat on their uh, Facebook group and everything um, and still wasn't offered an explanation. Um, So she's still left in the dark of why she was removed from the platform. She doesn't know if it was um, something maybe this algorithm picked up that wasn't actually to do with her or if they found something online. Um, And I think that's a a bad consumer experience for people. The algorithm suggests that it goes well into people's personal information, into your social media connections, your education level, your job history. So this sounds like, Kat, I'll bring the panellists and they'll they'll, they'll have questions. This sounds like an example of uh, purely automated decision-making. Yeah, that's right. So as far as we can tell, um, what's happening is that there are automated processes happening in the background on the Airbnb platform, and then they're automatically removing people. Some people uh, first found out about it before they've even logged in where they just got a generic email from the trust and safety team at Airbnb. Some people even thought it was spam. They thought, this is so generic, this email, it can't possibly be you know, real, um, and then found that they couldn't log into their account. So as far as we can tell, um, until you request it, there's no human review of these automated processes. Okay, interesting. All right, Fred, what are your thoughts and comments on this? It's it's it sounds it's quite a dystopian um, sort of concept when you uh, call an AI algorithm the trust and safety team. Um, it sort of uh, bodes quite darkly. I, I, you know, the, there's been so many examples of uh, algorithms uh, profiling uh, being skewed and biased in all sorts of uh, negative ways. Um, I'm really surprised that there isn't more transparency from from someone like Airbnb um, around this, um, that's pretty, pretty, pretty scary, really. Kate? Yes, I would I would agree. It's a bit like something off Black Mirror or something, isn't it? It's quite dystopian world. <laughs> yeah, the trust. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's, it's where is it? Is it it's, that, it's that slippery slope where we start losing control to the algorithm. Or Linda? Also, I suppose the algorithm wouldn't be able to tell if you're making a joke or, you know, if you did something silly on the internet, maybe they look at your Spotify list and think, oh, they listen to too much heavy metal, they're likely to have a party. You know what I mean? That's just, that's really overreach, I would have thought, let alone the privacy implications of a bot collecting all this random information to decide whether you warrant spending money to go and stay in an Airbnb. I've got to say, Kate, they, they've, they, I mean, the, the head of publicity, uh, policy, they've really come back quite strong. They are saying, look, the safety the security and privacy of our community is one of our top priorities and our platform security and safety measures are designed to help ensure that stays are safe and positive experiences. And look, let's face it, um, your privacy is really paramount, Kate, when it comes to services like Airbnb as well as Instagram. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's an interesting response, I think, from Airbnb. I think the transparency, lack of transparency here is what is most concerning. Um, Certainly guests and hosts want safety and security from using the platform. Um, And that's why the reason, you know, that people sign up and and give reviews of each other. It's when you get this overreach into your, what's essentially your private life, what you do on your social media. Uh, You know, like you say, you might be making a joke or you might use a fake profile to post some funny memes, um, we're really just trusting Airbnb that they can actually assess whether or not you're a more trustworthy person on these data points when they're not actually being clear um, what uh, processes they've Mm. gone through, what peer review they've gone through to determine this algorithm and if it actually works and actually does make people safer. 
All right, so finally, uh, Kate, where to from here? Where uh, where will this uh, report, this investigation by uh, choice uh, lead? Well, uh, two things I would suggest if you've got any listeners who have been removed from Airbnb to mm. reach out to Consumer NZ. Uh, they're keen to hear any stories from real people uh, and about their experiences. Uh, here in Australia, we're looking at uh, pushing the government for stronger consumer protections. Uh, under our Privacy Act review, which is currently underway. Um, and I know the Consumer and Den team is, is keen on improving uh, protections for on data privacy as well. Very good. Thank you very much for being with us, uh, Kate. Uh, that's Kate Bauer from Everscrew Choice in Australia. Either of you used Airbnb? I've actually never uh, uh, used Airbnb. What about you, Linda? Oh, all the time. It's great service. I mean, it does make me yeah. think that I should be posting pic- pictures of making my bed neatly at home, eh, for next time, <laughs> and cleaning the bathroom and those sorts of things. Like, actually, create yourself a fake profile as somebody with really tidy habits. <laughs> what a, and bad taste uh, in music. <laughs> and bad taste, okay. that's right. That's uh, what about you, Fred? Yeah, I think Linda's onto a winner there. Um, I think uh, someone using uh, social media in a, in a sort of pro- proactive, positive way to, to get themselves some wins. I, I have used Airbnb, and I think yeah, it's a it's it's a fantastic um, fantastic service, particularly when you stay in, yeah. in sort of real homes. There's there's always that balance of finding some mm-hmm. somewhere that someone's just sort of flipped out to be a a subpar motel room, or when they're actually uh, someone's actually gone away on a holiday and they're renting out their house. Yes. Um, I think uh, when you when you can find a, a real home in an interesting place, um, it's a it's a unique experience. Yeah, kia ora both of you. Uh, we have Fred Kobalski and Linda Helena with us this afternoon. And meanwhile, um, so much response regarding dentistry. Just email me uh, if you can, so they can uh, stay there, and I'll check them after work. The panel at rnz.co.nz. This is a good way to reach me. And by the way. Um, you love an easy lover. Um, easy lover, what a banging tune, Wallace. Thank you for that. Uh, Mike says, my my mate used to think that easy lover was actually easy llama. Never been able to hear it any different after that. Uh, someone says, easy lover produced by Phil Collins. He produced a lot of artists and had a distinctive 80s sound. And Ian says, Wallace, that song was made using real instruments and analog, not digital. But Paul says, Wallace, Fred, how uncharitable. Surely... Sorry, Fred. Welcome to the panel. Uh, surely, little old Splore could accept the world superstar. You weren't. You weren't. You weren't saying no to Phil Collins. You were just saying you'd ask why. No, absolutely not. It's uh, it's just that it's a caliber of artist that I'd be. Um, I'd be very curious as to why they wanted to come, and I'm sure we could find a, a little stage and a, a possibly an electric drum kit for him to have a few few um, whacks on for sure. But I, I'm not sure if uh, our core audience would be. Uh, and then again, you know, there might be a feeling in the in the night or something that uh, might grab people. <laughs> All right. Ten to five, the panel, RNZ National. Are today's preschoolers the worst behaved generation ever? It's a question Paul Little asks in the New Zealand Herald and speaks of a familiar scene that all parents can relate to. I can relate to. The confectionery aisle meltdown. As the little ones harangue and cry and tantrum out, how did we get to the point of toddlers as tyrants? Why don't mums and dads just say no? And why don't parents just say no and not give kids the option? Or maybe you do. Jackie Southey has done a bit of research on this topic. Southey is the Child Rights Advocacy Strategy and Research Director at Save the Children NZ. Kia ora, Jackie. Nice to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace. Nice to talk to you again. Firstly, 
I understand quite a bit of a passionate uh, topic this one. You got some quite extraordinary, let's say even vitriolic comments about parents not having the control of their children. Yes, sadly, we re- when we released our research in 2020, uh, there was some yeah dis- uh, dissatisfaction, to say the least, from just a small group, actually. It wasn't the mainstream, it wasn't most, but some feeling that, no, um, there should be control of children and that we were going too far, but really the evidence right. is there to actually say that's not right. Well, some believe that today's preschoolers are the worst behaved generation ever, followed by the worst of parents. Thoughts? Absolutely not true. I mean, that is that is a, a moral panic in action with this exaggerated threat to society that parents are treating their little children with kindness and patience and actually insights into their behaviour and therefore society will collapse. It's just absolutely not true. So what am I doing wrong, Jackie? I'm at the aisle, true story. Junior wants a chub-a-chub. I go, there you go, mate. Am I being soft? Well... I mean, not necessarily. There's no one answer there, and I guess it's the it's the uh, the fear that children demanding and getting what they want. Actually, we all ask for things, and sometimes we get them, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes we're really disappointed. And you know, at times when it's it's the behaviour of the little child in the supermarket, you know, that they're really emotional, that these big emotions, and they're probably really tired, and and they're living in the moment, and they see this beautiful chocolate shop, and they want it right now, and may not be able to see, you know, actually, I could have it tomorrow or the next day. So, you know, they're really in that moment, and so when the moment says no, well, you know, they react with the tools they've got, and that that might be to yell and scream. Gotcha. All right. Fred. (laughs) Uh, well, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't have children. Um, God made me gay, so I wouldn't breed, so I can um, dodge, dodge those troubles. And I, I do, but I do admire um, all my friends who have had children, and um, I see them uh, sort of navigating the minefield that is something like a supermarket with all the shiny, colourful, sweet treats uh, at eye level. Um, but I have to say, you know, as, as a dark heart as it seems to me, all the, all the beautiful children that my friends are raising are growing up to be amazing young people and um, regardless of you know how they behaved or tested boundaries or experienced to the moment like um, like uh, like you're saying uh, I think it's all part of it and but I'm, I'm lucky I can just you know if I see a child having a meltdown I can put on some noise cancelling headphones and um, give the parents a, a piffy glance. Stay there uh, Jackie let's put Brinkland Lindren. <laughs> oh look, I, I I don't even know how to approach this um, subject without outing myself as the worst type of parent, which is what neglectful slash authoritarian. I just waver between the two. But you know, when we were kids, we just weren't taken places the way that kids are now. We never went to cafes, and so we didn't have a chance to throw our hot chips and squirt tomato sauce all over the place and offend other people. You know, we never went to supermarkets. I mean, I would have gone to a supermarket once or twice as a kid. They didn't exist. You know, mum, mum got her groceries in a box. I don't know where they came from, but they came from somewhere that we didn't go to. That's right. the thing. I think life's changed. People okay. have changed. Get over so, it. Who cares if a kid throws a tantrum? Yeah, so finally, on the tantrum thing, Jackie, your child is having a tantrum. The idea, as I understand it, is to listen to what the child is trying to tell you. Yeah, well, I think it's about soothing, really. It's being that calm in the storm, you know, being, being the rock to cling to. The situation if you know, a child's yelling and screaming and then the parent's getting angry and then now, you know, they're yelling, it's, it's just escalating. It's not getting better. And there's a lot of research that shows when parents can be calm, you know, we don't have to fix 
our child and we don't have to punish the child for behaviour that is just part of their development stage. That's quite empowering as a parent. We can be calm, we can talk soothingly, we can pick them up, we can give them a cuddle, we can be, I know you're tired. It's a long day. You know, oh, you're feeling a bit sad. And, you know, and you'll feel that child will actually sort of start to relax because, you know, they're feeling that connection with their parent. And, and, you know, it might take a while. It might not take seconds. It might take a couple of minutes. But it's certainly a better approach than sort of yelling or feeling like you've got to punish or, or making the situation worse. That is really great advice, Jackie. Mm. Kia ora. Thanks for coming to the panel and uh, discussing that with us. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a bit of response from that. Uh, but for now, <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Jackie Savi. Uh, who is the Child Rights Advocacy Strategy and Research Director at Save the Children uh, NZ. Uh, I wanted to bring this up. Not smart, but clever. The return of dumb phones. This BBC article looks at the Nokia 3310 phone, one of the best-selling handsets of all time, and... It's making a comeback amongst young people. So, basic handsets with really limited functionality compared to, say, an iPhone. You can typically only make and receive calls and SMS text messages. And if you're lucky, listen to the radio and take basic photos. But you cannot connect to the internet. And I wanted to go around the panel and ask, is this something that you could do, Fred? Ditch your smartphone, connect to the internet, and take up one of these phones? Well, um, I, I, I would actually certainly like to. It's something I aspire to. I, I, look, I've read uh, Johan Hari's uh, Stolen Focus, which has several chapters uh, focused on how smartphones are actually uh, basically destroying our ability to think for ourselves. Um, I'm personally, I, 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 I'm not quite strong enough. I, I think I might have to start with short little breaks. Um, yeah, short little breaks from from the from the connection, but uh, I, I admire people who've got them um, and are, and are using them. Yeah, something I aspire yeah. to. Said one seventeen year old in the uh, in the BBC piece. I didn't notice until I bought a brick phone how much a smartphone was taking over my life. I had a lot of social media apps on it, and I didn't get as much work done as I was always on my phone. My friends would say, "So when are you getting a smartphone? Are you getting one like this week?" Um, Linda, uh, Fred's been really honest on the panel. He can't do it. He's addicted. Can you be saved? Well, see, it's a funny thing when you live in the country, you know, it actually isn't a smartphone at all. Like, my phone doesn't really even receive phone calls in the country. It's got to be near Wi-Fi. We don't have good enough reception. So I, I think it's a dumb phone regardless. It's actually a computer. It's not a phone anymore. Nobody, I mean, who, who even answers calls? Nobody answers calls unless you know they're coming. Um, but I had this great conversation with my dad about this recently because he's having a moan to me about how he always runs out of data. And so he turns his data off all the time because he's too cheap to pay for it. And so when he goes out, if you send him a text with a picture, he never gets it. Then he complains at you. And I said to him, what, what you need, Dad, is actually just a phone, like, <laughs> that you make texts, that you make <laughs> calls good, on. You yeah. don't even need – if you're not going to pay for data, there's no point. And I think that's the thing. There's a load of people who do mm. not need to be looking at their Facebook updates 24-7. Do you – nuts. Yeah. Fred? Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like I, I confess, I do actually own a dumb phone. I use it for work as a as a, oh. as a sort of emergency hotline on on during the event. So we just have a phone that needs to be able to be uh, passed around and is reliable. And this is a I don't even know the brand, but we've owned it for about five years. And I charge it up once a year, and I turn it on about a week before the event, and it runs out of battery about a month later. 
uh, remarkable things. Fred, you've been fantastic <laughs> on the panel. Now there's a movement for Thank Phil you. Collins to get to explore. We're not starting there. Awesome. Uh, just... I just wanted to, um, sorry, if I could just say that event that I, I, I stumbled on at the beginning, it's called Roadie for Roadies, and it's a coast-to-coast walk. Roadie so for Roadies, good on it. Fred Great, Kablowski, yeah. Linda Hannon, kia ora to you both. I'm Wallace Chapman. Power Ballad Friday tomorrow. Text me, what should it be? 2101. See you then.